John 14, as you turn there, if you are able or willing to stand with me, would you stand? Uh, I want you just to stretch your legs and uh, change the pace for a minute. If you don't want to stand, it's fine. You won't offend me. I, I really don't care. But John 14, we're going to read verses 15 through 26, a, a bigger passage of Scripture. I have entitled this morning, Meet the Holy Spirit. So we get to, for a few minutes, talk about the Holy Spirit. And although the Holy Spirit's activity is best on display in the book of Acts, the theology of the Holy Spirit cannot be better contained than in John 14, 15, and 16. John 14, and 15, and 16, you will see the Holy Spirit pop up in all three of these chapters, and it is the best compressed theology of the Holy Spirit that you can find in the entirety of the Bible. Now, in my experience... Churches generally find themselves in one of two categories. Category one, they just talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. Category two, they seem to be afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit and never talk about Him. One author went so far in his book about the Holy Spirit to title his book, Forgotten God. And he wrote, you know, how do we reverse our tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure what your church background is. I'm not sure, you know... If the, the topic of the Holy Spirit excites you or makes you curious or, you know, you scratch your head, I don't know. But this morning I want to look at this text because it's what the text is. And I want us to meet the Holy Spirit and I want us to understand just an intro, okay? We're gonna, you're going to see this graphic right there and you're going to see this topic come up again in John 15 and in John 16. So I don't have to cover everything today. My goal is not to give you an all-encompassing view of the Holy Spirit. My goal is to give you what the text says and to introduce you this morning, kind of give you Holy Spirit 101, which is, who is he, what does he do, what does he do, and how do we access his benefits? That's what we're going to look at. Who is he, what does he do, how do we access his benefits? So let's read this, then we'll try to understand. John 14, look at verse number 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And there's a contrast there. He's with you. The Holy Spirit was in the life and ministry of Jesus and was there of sorts. But he says, will be in you, dwell in you. There's a difference. 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, and I, I have to say, I don't know how that went down, but I would have to think that there's two Judases and Jesus' disciples, and Judas, not Iscariot, I'm sure told John like years prior, hey, if you ever write about me, just be sure, bro, do not, let, tell them I'm not Iscariot, okay? Make it clear that I'm a different guy. So John tells us, no, not that one, the other one. Judas asked him, where was I, verse number something or another, 22, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my saints. 
The word that, that uh, you hear is mine, but the Father's which sent me. Excuse me. It's not mine, but the Father's sent me. Verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I'm going to pray and then you can be seated after I pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to focus on some of the vision for our church this year and some big plans that we've been working on. And I'm excited about it. But Lord, for the next few moments, would you quiet our hearts and minds? Would you help us to lock in on this text and this truth? And Lord, I I think more important than focus group meetings, honestly, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would get this today. Lord, would you speak to us, Holy Spirit of God? We tell you that we invite and welcome you, and we want you to do your work right now in our hearts. We love you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Who is he? I already gave you a bit of a hint. I kind of tipped my hat to this when I chose the pronoun he. I said, who is he, not who or what is it? And there is a difference between the two. Here, I'll give you right out of the gate, probably the best kind of elemental, perfect definition of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the personal, divine, resident of the Christian. And you see all of this in the text that uh, make our abode with you, dwell with you, be with you forever, this, this resident of the Christian. But you find that the Holy Spirit is both personal and divine. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit, not as it, but as he. And Jesus actually has to break the conventions of grammar to do this. So normally in grammar, if some of you love grammar, some of you are groaning right now. You're like, please not grammar. I hated that class, okay? In grammar, a noun and a pronoun match each other in gender. So if I said, Sally fell and broke his arm, you would think, Either you should have said her, or I've never heard of a dude named Sally, right? You said Sally fell and broke her arm, right? Sally and her, those match each other. Uh, Bob fell and broke his arm. The mirror fell and it broke. The mirror is not masculine or feminine. The mirror is neuter, so it has it, not him or her. The word spirit is neuter. But if you look at how Jesus associates a pronoun with it, he does not associate a neuter it He says he. So read with me in verse number 17. You see it over and over. Even the spirit of truth, so spirit is is not masculine, the noun isn't, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. What is Jesus trying to get at here? Jesus is trying to get at that the Holy Spirit isn't an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. As such, it will make sense to you why the Bible will say in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Romans will tell us that the Holy Spirit loves. It doesn't love or or have feelings or is grieved, but a person has feelings. A person can be grieved. A person can love. A a person can associate that and know that. And and the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, okay? This isn't some sort of Jedi magic. This is not an impersonal force. This is a person, the Holy Spirit. You also need to know that the Holy Spirit is divine. By divine, I mean the Holy Spirit is God. This is a, a Trinitarian view of theology that there are three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And you see that clearly in a lot of texts, but here you see it almost indirectly. 
Jesus says in verse number 16, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Now the word another is English, but the Greek word for that, there are two Greek words for another. You say, Pastor, you gave me grammar first, and now you're giving me Greek. What's going on, okay? This is important. There are two Greek words that both translated another. Heteros, which means another of a different kind. We use this in our term heterosexual. A man and a woman, different kind, that love each other, right? But then there's the word alos. Alos means another of the same kind. When Jesus says, I will give you another comforter, he uses the word alos. He's saying, I'm giving you another comforter of the same kind. Say, of what kind? Who's he talking about? Who's the first comforter? Jesus. Jesus is the first, and he's saying, guys, just like I have been with you, God has been with you. I am going to make sure that God is still with you. I have been with you. I have met your needs. I have helped you. I have been here. I've been alongside you. And in the same way, I'm going to send you another of the same kind. I'm going to, God is going to come in the Spirit, in the Spirit of truth, in the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and He's going to be with you forever, He says. He will dwell with you. will make our abode with you. That you need to understand that, that God is coming. Jesus has worked so hard. We've seen this all through John's gospel. If you've been with us over the past 12 months or so, we've, we've worked through the first 14 chapters and we've seen over and over again these strong, I mean just clear claims to divinity where Jesus steps up and says, the rules of the Sabbath don't apply to me because I made the rules of the Sabbath. I instituted all that. Where Jesus steps up and says, as Abraham was, I am. You know that name that God gave himself in the burning bush? Yeah, that's me. And they're like, you're saying you're God. We're going to kill you. He's like, yeah, I am. You see over and over again that Jesus is, is making it so clear that he is God. And he says another, God is going to come. The Holy Spirit is actually divine. Now, you start to naturally, and I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to take you to the edge, but we're not going to go over the edge, okay? You start to work up to naturally kind of the edge of, of the doctrine of the Trinity. But all through here, Jesus, the Father and then me and then the Holy Spirit. And, and the point of this morning is not to get into the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, but I do think we should go there a little bit. Jesus almost uses these interchangeably, but on the same hand, he doesn't use them interchangeably. If you follow the, the progression of the text, the whole chapter, we didn't read it this morning, but we did it a couple weeks ago. Verse 2 of chapter 14 is Jesus, guys, be comforted. I'm going away, right? I'm leaving. I'm departing. That's what all this prep is for. I'm, I'm going away. Verse 16, the Holy Spirit is coming. Verses 21, 22, 23, me and the Father are actually going to come unto you. What is Jesus saying? I'm going away, but the Holy Spirit's coming. And because the Holy Spirit's coming, I'm coming, but I'm going away. He's, he's using as the Holy Spirit is, is in some respects still me, the Father, God, one, but in some respects not different persons. What Jesus is saying is that I'm so one with the Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, I come into your life. Yet at the same time, I'm not identical to the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, I'm already going to be in heaven. Easy, right? <laughs> what Jesus is saying is that there, there, aren't three, there aren't three gods. We're far too one for there to be three gods. But there isn't, there isn't one person with three different hats that he wears in three different forms. It just, you know, today I'll put on my father hat and I'll be father God. And then, and then I'll come to earth and I'll put on my Jesus hat and be Jesus God. And then later on I'll put on my Holy Spirit hat and then I'll be Holy Spirit God. No, 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 no. They're 
there aren't three gods. They're far too one for that. Yet, there isn't one God in three forms. There are two, three for that. There's one God in three persons. You say, Pastor, I'm confused. Okay, we'll talk about the Trinity later. That was just a, a, a little bit. What, what's the point I'm trying to make? I'm trying to talk about the Holy Spirit. The point I'm trying to make is that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He's a divine person in the middle of your life. So, Pastor, why does it matter? Why does it have to be clear? If you think that the Holy Spirit is a divine force, you will go about being filled with the Spirit in a completely different way than if you understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, a divine person, in the middle of your life. We're told in no uncertain terms in the Scriptures that we can and should be filled with the Spirit, that we should experience divine joy and power and, and, and an energy that comes from God. How do you get that? Well, if you think the Holy Spirit is a force, then you're going to go about it in a completely different way than if you think He's a person. If you think He's a force, you're going to go Luke Skywalker or Ray on it, and you're just going to meditate, and you're tr going to try to, you know, uh, get your life in some sort of environmental meditation, make sure that I'm in tune enough and it could possibly come. You'll try to push all the right buttons. Get rid of this, start doing that, make sure this is this, put all these things in order, check those boxes, and then the environment is good, and, and then it can come. It. No. No. It's, it's not like filling a glass with water. The Holy Spirit's a person. How do you get filled with a person? How do you allow your life to become filled with a person? One of the best illustrations maybe I could give is that some of you actually experienced this over the holidays. I know in our family we did. Christmas we traveled, but for Thanksgiving, we had some friends come for Thanksgiving. Andrew was here, and Andrew actually uh, preached uh, for us on, on that Sunday. But we had friends here. And you know what happened when they came to our house over the holidays? We began to experience what it was to have our lives filled with a person. All of a sudden, the house was clean and picked up and everything was in order. That's not to say that it wasn't previously because my wife's right there and she does an amazing job, okay? But all of a sudden, I mean, there was a place for everything and everything was in its place. Even the, it didn't, not the room that they're staying in, all the rooms, everything is in order, right? All of a sudden, the things that maybe would have eh, been a little bit irritated me, been a little bit chippy with each other. No, they're in the house. We want to have a good time. It, it, we're, we're not going to be chippy about that. All of a sudden, it wasn't about what we wanted, what we preferred, and what we liked. It was about what they wanted, what would, what would make them happy, what would be a good time for them. Do you have any food allergies? How can we make this comfortable for you? We, what we had for about, I don't know, four or five days was an acute consciousness that there were different persons inside of our abode living with us. And it changed our behavior. It, it changed how we acted. And to be filled with a person or to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the best definition I could give you is not to go get a, alone and try to, you know, push all the right buttons and say all the right things and plead the blood and say Jesus' name and da da da, da and then the Holy Spirit will come in, in, in this magical moment. No, the best thing I could tell you is that you want to have an acute consciousness of the permanent resident of your, of your life. That a Christian gets the Holy Spirit as a companion or comforter or helper as it will see to be with them forever and to be aware of them. To talk to Him. To ask Him for something. To treat Him like a person. So understand your approach to the Holy Spirit. Who is He? He's a divine person. 
a divine person that is, that is there in, in a Christian's life. Okay, what does he do? Well, the text tells us that he will be a comforter. You see that in verse number 16. If you look at it there, I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another comforter. Verse number 26, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Now, if you go to different translations of the Bible, you would find that almost every translation employs a different word there. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible says comforter. That's the version that uh, we teach and preach from. That's, that's the version that I use. This is not a class on versions, but the reason we do that is because uh, I would believe that's the most accurate version for a lot of reasons, but we're not going to get into that today. Uh, but if you use a different version, it would say something like uh, maybe advocate or counselor or helper. There's a lot of different words used. And most of the time, if you find that different translations take one word and they all employ different English words, most of the time the reason they're doing that is because they're taking a, a Greek word that's so rich in meaning that we really just struggle to communicate it in one English word. That we really don't have an exact parallel to be able to take it from, from a Greek language into our English language. Sometimes that happens with languages. And when you find this word, I want to just back up and look at what it actually means in the original. Once again, I know Greek, you know, sorry, I'm sorry to do it to you. But I think it will help us understand what this means. Because if you look at just, oh, he'll send me a comforter. Okay, what does that mean? I'm weepy and he puts his arm around me. Does that, does that mean I get a quilt? What does that mean? Okay, I want, I want us to back it up a step and understand. The, the word for this is the word paraclete or parakaleo. Now you can hear in that when I say that, that there's, two, there's really two parts, para and kaleo. And the interesting thing about the word is that the two parts are almost at odds with each other. But they almost contradict each other. The word kaleo actually means to call, to summon. You could even say to call loudly or to argue. It's an in-your-face word. It's an aggressive word. It, it is a turn-up-the-volume sort of word. Yet the word para means not to be behind and not to be in front, but to be alongside. Now, we use this word all the time. We use it in uh, paramedic, a medic who's alongside you. Paralegal, uh, a legal assistant right alongside the lawyer of, I don't know, what's another para word? Um... Something. You'll think of another one. I gave you two. That's enough. It means to be alongside. It is a sympathetic word. It is a comforting word. That really is where the word comforter kind of is drawn from, which is appropriate. It, it is a arm around your shoulder. You find in kind of these two parts, there's like this hard side and the soft side. You find in these that what Jesus is saying is that these are wrapped into one person. See, how do you wrap that in one person? Well, there's a couple ways. One way would be a defense attorney, someone who stands alongside you but argues on your behalf fervently. You see this exact word, paraclete, used of Jesus in 1 John. Andrew, my buddy, I mentioned, if you were here at Thanksgiving, preached on that passage that in Jesus Christ we have an advocate with the Father. It's the same word. But there's another way that this could be used, and this is really what the text is after here, is that you could almost think of this as a sober companion. Someone who is alongside you and for you, but at the same time against you. Someone who has the gall to back you into a corner and say you're destroying your life and I'm not going to let you destroy your life and I'm telling you this needs to change. Is that person against you or for you? Both. Both. 
They're against you for you. So what this, what this is saying is that you're going to get the Holy Spirit of God who's going to come alongside and not just tell you that you're loved all the time, although He will tell you that, but someone who confronts your heart when, you, when your heart needs to be confronted. When you're telling yourself, ah, this sin won't harm me that much, you know, small potatoes, no big deal. You know what, I can ask for forgiveness later. I mean, just grace. I, I can just go ahead with this. I deserve this. The Holy Spirit, when that word comforter means, comes alongside and says, no, 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 no. No, no, no. I'm going to stand and speak against you, but I'm going to be for you all at the same time. Then we're told, okay, comforter, and now we're told that he's the spirit of truth. We're told in verse number 17, even the spirit of truth, kind of a descriptor for who the Holy Spirit is. We're told then in verse number 26, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, it kind of elaborates on this. He shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So part of the Holy Spirit's job, what does he do? is to be the spirit of truth that takes the truth of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, even the truth of the word of God, and begins to bring that home into your heart and into your life. This does mean at one level that the Holy Spirit of God authored the scriptures. You can definitely see that in the text, that as the spirit of truth, the apostles of Jesus were commissioned, and Jesus told them that really the promise in verse 26 that he's going to bring to remembrance the things that I did and the things that I said is really this promise that he's, he's going to inspire. And Matthew, you know, one day you're going to pin down your gospel. And that's, Matthew didn't pin down his gospel because Matthew kept a diary in his back pocket of all the things Jesus did and, and he kept a log. John pinned his gospel. How? How did he recall this or know this? Was it just his memory? No, the Holy Spirit of God was working in that. Peter would say exactly this when Peter wrote Scripture. Then we know this didn't, this didn't come even in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So this does mean he's the author of Scripture, but last I checked, none of us are authoring Scripture tomorrow. So what this means for your life is that the Holy Spirit takes the words of God, the words of Jesus, and begins to use them against you for you. I think you would see this, and I've never heard it explained this way, but this just kind of jumped out at me as I was considering this in Ephesians 6. The, the armor of God passage, raise of hands. How many of you in Sunday school or church or whatever heard some sort of teaching on the armor of God over the years, okay? Most of you have. How does that passage end? We should take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now what does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit of God actually has the sword, which is the Word of God, and is using it against you for you. You could almost think of it as, as, a, as a surgeon's scalpel. You say, Pastor, I don't know that I understand, okay? I don't fault you. What I want to do is I want to take you to two or three different biblical texts, and I want us to see this at work. How this actually happened, where the comforter, the, the sober advocate, the, the paraclete, the, the for you, against you person, takes the truth and begins to use it in your life. One that I'll give to you, and it's in your notes. You can turn there or you can look in your notes or in your Bible, is Romans 8. Romans 8, we're told that we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, 
but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What that verse is saying, and I'll be the first to admit this morning, I have a few jokes. For the next 10 minutes, you're going to have to purposely lock in, but I can promise you if you lock in, you'll be glad you did. What this verse says is that we, we didn't receive and we don't get and we don't want the spirit of fear. That, that shouldn't have a place in our, in our life. We don't want our hearts to be filled with fears of, I'm not good enough, I haven't done enough, God is done with me, uh, I'll never measure up. No, 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 that's not supposed to be the case. We got the spirit of God, the spirit of adoption, it says. And, and, and he allows us to cry, Abba, Father. How's that work? What's that mean? Well, verse 16 tells us, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What this is portraying is that in your own heart and in your own spirit, in your own, in your own immaterial you, these fears begin to creep up. These fears begin to sprout. And you begin to think that I'm not good enough and I haven't done enough and I'm never going to measure up. And, and, and what, was I really saved? Is this really real? All that sort of stuff starts to happen. And the Spirit bears witness. It means it brings expert testimony. The Spirit comes along your spirit and says, no. I have something you need to know. I, I want to take the truth of God and I want to apply that. You are loved. Jesus died for you and he meant it. It wasn't an accident. That you are his child. He has not left you. He's not done with you. He's not putting you off to the side. No, that's not happening. Whereby now we can cry, Abba, Father. Because he does that to us and squashes the fears for us and stands against us and opposes us and says, no, your fears are wrong. Shut up. Believe the truth. Now I can know God's my father. Now I can really deep down know and believe and say thank you for being my father. You find this in Ephesians 3. I'll give you another example of this. Paul prays for the Ephesians, a famous prayer. I would encourage you to pray this prayer um, as much as you can. And Paul says in Ephesians 3, I'm going to bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to bow my knees and pray for you, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And here's what I'm going to pray. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Here's what Paul prays. I'm praying that God in his power and glory and in his riches would take his Holy Spirit and he would strengthen you in your, in your inside. I'm praying that God out of his richness would through the Spirit of God fortify the immaterial you that'll put some spiritual rebar in your heart. Okay, what does that mean? Well, he goes on that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ. Now time out. Who, talk back to me. Who is Paul writing to in Ephesians 3? Is he writing to unbelieving people who do not know Jesus or is he writing to believing people? Believing people. And he's praying that the Spirit of God would fortify their inner man. And what that looks like is that Christ dwells in your heart by faith. Don't believing people already have Christ dwelling in their heart by faith? He's praying that they would know the love of Jesus. Don't people who follow Jesus already know the love of Jesus? 
then why are you praying that way? Why are you praying that the Spirit would, would do this? What he's saying is, I want the Spirit to take the truth that you already know, but I want the Spirit to take that truth and make that truth vivid. I want him to make that truth powerful. I want him to make that truth come alive. I want you not just to know, but to know that Christ is in your life. I want you to know the love of Jesus, the, how big and wide and expansive it is. I don't, there's a difference between knowing that sugar is sweet and putting sugar on your tongue and tasting it and allowing that to electrify your whole being, Right? He said, I don't want you to know. I want you to taste it. I want you to feel it. I want this to become reality and to become color. How does that happen? I'm praying that God and his riches would do it by his spirit. That he would give you spiritual rebar in that way. How? He takes the truth you already know and he massages it into you. I'll give you one more. James 4, and I'll give you the cliff note version of this one. We're told that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Be friends with the world that's against God. Doesn't fit. But then the next verse tells us, why do you think the scripture says, the spirit that dwelleth in us, and listen to these words, lusteth to envy. What does that mean? Don't be friends with the world. That's against God. That's why the scripture told you that the spirit in you lusteth to envy. What? If you go back to the idea of sober companion, you get it. That friend who loves the addict will not just let them destroy their life. They'll do everything they can. They will lust to envy. They will say, no, you are trying to destroy yourself. No, you, you, this is going to hurt you. I desire for you, lust. I, I want, I want to get you back over here where you should be. Friendship with the world is against God. Don't go that way. Go this way. Come over here. I want you on a path that's right for you. I want you on a path that's good for you. That part of the Spirit dwelling within us is that it's taking truth and trying to stand against us for us and trying to pull us back away from the world, back to God. That He opposes anything in your heart that's going to scuttle you. He'll take the truth and He won't let you go. His companionship and his friendship has teeth to it. That I am going to be utterly for you, which sometimes means I'm against you. And I'm going to take the truth of the Word of God and make the Scriptures real and powerful and vibrant. Now that is far more than what I had previously understood. You know, Jesus saying that the Comforter will come and he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. I thought, oh, I'll be talking with an unbeliever and that verse I forgot, he'll bring back up. It's really far beyond that. The Holy Spirit of God is, is the, the, the one who really makes it vivid and powerful in life. If you, okay, if you have ever experienced this, you know what? I didn't follow Jesus. I wasn't saved. I didn't live for him. But now I do. I put my faith in Jesus. And all of a sudden, the things that you used to do was like no problem. I did that. It didn't bother me. It was, it was, it was natural. It's just what we did, what the friends did. What, it was just, it was part of my life. Now I do it. Ugh. There's something in me that, that is after me. It just doesn't feel right. I feel like I should. I feel, what's happening there? The Holy Spirit of God is doing His work. What, what's happening? 
And, and I love that Paul prays this because he, he's treating the Spirit like a person. I'm praying that the Spirit of God would do this for you. I'm, I'm praying that He would come and that, and that He would not just be in your life, but that He would make this real and vibrant to you. So that's, that's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what He does. Okay, lastly and quickly, how do I access these benefits? Okay, I want that. I want friendship with the divine. I want, I want to know Him. I, I want to... I want to have this be part of my life. How do I access it? Okay, first, here's how not to access it. I see this all the stinking time. People that treat the Holy Spirit as if he's a spiritual helicopter looking for a place to land. And if, and if I clear the deck, make it right, do this, 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 then the, then the Spirit will, will come down to me. I'll cajole him enough to, to come into my life. The Holy Spirit did descend on Jesus like a dove at his baptism. That's true. But, but to take that and to import it and to say that, you know, this is what we need to do and he'll be the spiritual helicopter that comes and lands on us is, is fiddlesticks. This, we're told he will be with you and he will be with you forever. Now you can experience being filled with him or not. That's true. You can treat him like an it. You can ignore him. You can have, you know, very little personal relationship with him. That's true. And I hope it's not true, but it could be. But he's not a spiritual helicopter looking for a place to land. The way you access the benefits, the way you get the Holy Spirit of God is contained in the text and it is probably the part that you read and were like, hey, what did that say? Look at, look at it with me now. Let's see if we can make sense of it. Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father and I will love him and then it says this, I will manifest myself to him. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. I'll manifest myself to him. Verse uh, 22, Judah said, Lord, how in the world is this going to happen? Verse 23, Jesus answers, if a man love me, he will keep my words. My father will love him. We will come unto him and make her abode with him. What's he talking about? Come unto him, make her abode with him. Talking about the Spirit of God. It's the same thing. It's on repeat. It's the same thing that he led with, actually, and this is what I wanted to end with, although we started with it. Look at verses 15 and 16. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Okay, this is the progression three times in the text, just to make it abundantly clear to, to us. Love me and obey me. I will gift you the Holy Spirit, and he will not go away. Love me and obey me. You'll get the gift of the Spirit. He will not go away. That, that's the progression. Here's a better way to say it. The Holy Spirit is a forever gift to those who know Jesus as Lord. How do you access the benefits of the Spirit? How, how do you know that His presence is in your life? He is a forever gift to those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So if you want the benefits of the Holy Spirit, you actually have to back up a step and ask yourself, is that true? Do I know Him? Do I love Him? Do I want to follow Him? Is He my Lord and Savior? If you know him as Lord and Savior, then he is a gift in your life. And he had been working behind the scenes and you didn't really necessarily sense it. I had someone after the first service that walked up to me and said, Pastor, you just made sense of so much. I, I never heard a sermon on the Holy Spirit. And it, and it just clarified so much of what's happened in my life since I've known Jesus. So maybe it's happening for you right now. So he, he has been there. But if you know Jesus as Savior, he's a forever gift to you. If you want him and you don't have him, then, then you need to go to Jesus. You need to ask yourself, do I believe in him? And, the, and it's very simple. 
if you'll put your faith and trust in him, Jesus loves you, died for you, for your sins, was buried and rose again, now is in heaven, but sends us his presence through his spirit, that if you will put your faith and trust in him, then that will be one of many gifts that you get. But that's where it starts. So the real bottom line of all of this is, do you know Jesus? And if you do, I hope, I hope you will begin to treat the Holy Spirit like a person and to enjoy a relationship with him and to watch him do his work in your life. Maybe you already have been and that's just amplified a bit now. But if you don't know him, my, my desire and my prayer is that you would today. That right now while I speak, the Holy Spirit of God is taking truths and, and, and punching them home in your heart. And that something in you is saying, I, I want to believe but I don't know what, and that you'll, that, you'll, that you'll come to faith. Pastor, you're trying to convert me? Yeah. 100%. I want you to know Jesus. And if you want to know Jesus, he wants to know you. Pray with me.